on. Good morning. We were just talking about how uh, half of everyone is sick or something, and they're out. But we're glad you're here to share your hearts and your souls and your germs. Um, we will, ex- that was, what? Keep your germs to yourself. But keep your germs to yourself. Yeah, that's true. Um, how y'all doing, choir? Good. Good to see y'all. Welcome, friends. Welcome back. Few uh, nights. Pam, where's Bill? Oh, he's welcoming still. Oh, good. So we're glad. How was Key West in Florida? It was good. And we welcome back the Hopkins from the Dominican Republic. We're glad that you're back. Welcome back. And we welcome all visitors. Um, So a a couple of announcements. It is a wandering Sunday. So if anyone wants to hang out with Pastor Jamie um, of all ages, they they can go with Pastor Jamie. May it just be you and Jensen hanging out if you want. That's okay, though. Um, there is an orientation for new members or visitors following worship today that is in the parlor. So if you would like to come and join us, um, please do so. This is the first that we've offered this. So if you have joined this congregation, um, actually since my arrival, which is many of you, um, <laughs> feel free to come. Um, but if you still want to get oriented to the church, Um, It will last one hour, and there will be bagels. So if you need sustenance, something to tide you over. Um, (coughs) A couple other uh, things happening. There is a cleanup sponsored by our property committee next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, the 22nd, from 8 a.m. until uh, noon. So if you're able to come and hang out for a couple hours, we'll have a to-do list of things that we're going to tackle, and we're just going to you know, if we finish it all, great. If we don't, we're just going to work as, as much as we can. So if you're able to come for um, all or any part of that time, we welcome you. We will also try to entice you with bagels and donuts and coffee. So, um, And then believe it or not, Ash Wednesday is happening very soon on uh, February the 26th. Um, so we do have a sign-up sheet for our pancake supper Uh, which starts at 5.30. Um, We like to smush Shrove Tuesday um, and Wednesday activities all together. So we have our pancake supper at 5.30, and then around 6.45, we will head in here and we'll have our Ash Wednesday service. So everyone is welcome to do that. Outreach has asked um, that we RSVP to that, so there's a sign-up sheet in the hallway if you can do that. Um, and then the 28th of February is Faith, Family, and Friends. That is an uh, uh, opportunity to just informally come together. We have a potluck dinner, and then we're, we usually have some level of uh, activity. And this particular activity on the 28th is cookie making. You're all in, right, Jensen? Yeah. Yeah, and we will enjoy some of those cookies, um, but we will also then gift those cookies Um, to our outreach team who will take lunch to uh, LVS on March 1st. LVS being Liberation Veteran Services, um, which are veterans who are experiencing homelessness. And so we take them lunch on the first Sunday of the month. So that's all I have. Um, And that is enough. But I'm going to invite Miss Judith to come forward, who's going to help us in our gathering song. Excuse me, I have also been sick this week. (coughs) Um, 
Judith had the great idea um, to honor um, uh, people of color by celebrating Black History Month. Mm -hmm. We thank you for leading this initiative. Um, and she has uh, a spiritual that we're going to do our best <laughs> for our gathering song today. It is okay. This is all about making a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, so here, I'm going to give you the microphone. And uh, yeah. We will ask you to stand up if you're able. Grab an instrument. Jensen here is excellent at, at, at sharing some instruments if you'd like one. And just a little. It's on. They'll get just it. Just a little history about Negro spirituals. There you go. They were sang by slaves to get messages across to each other so the master wouldn't know when it was time to run, walk, or whatever plans they had to do to lead the plantation wow. or how to get to the next place. So that's what they would do was sing spirituals. And the words in there would tell them it's time to walk, it's time to run, it's time to hide or whatever. So that's the history of that. <laughs> and okay. so the song we're singing today is... Um, Got the words already. <laughs> oh, is it in our hymnal? Oh, it's in our hymnal, 592. Hot diggity. And we're only going to do the refrain. Uh, refrain. So we, we probably are familiar with this tune anyway. Will you play it through for us, the refrain? Every. of one's faith while also sending a message to get on moving. Feel the spirit. It's time to move. <laughs> Good morning. Please remain standing. Follow me with the call to worship, please. Strength is commanding. Strength is accepting vulnerability. Strength is standing in solidarity. Strength is turning a cheek. We come to worship. Join me now in the opening hymn, Immortal, Invisible God, Only Wise, found in your hymnals on page 66. We'll do verses 1, 3, and 4.
please join me in the confession. God who makes us pause, make us turn around in our tracks to see anew what we have not noticed or acknowledged. God who makes the dim sky bright with the turning of the earth, awaken us before the dawn that we may see you. God who turns the tide to ebb and flow in an eternal cycle that says, I have forgiven you, return to me, forgive one another. Your message of reconciliation is everlasting. We turn to our enemy with a new love. God, we turn to you. God always calls us back and never gives up on us, even when we forget who we are and whose we are. God is always loving us. We are forgiven. At peace with God, let us now offer the peace of Christ to one another. Please be seated. This morning's first reading comes from the book of Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, which is for those who fear you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread, for your ordinances are good. See, I have longed for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. The word of the Lord.
<coughs> How y'all feeling? Make it through. <laughs> I got this. Uh, our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. We are continuing uh, listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Thank God I don't preach this long. Three weeks worth. That was supposed to be funny. Come on. All right. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing then for others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore. Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. I'm curious how many of you successfully navigated Valentine's Day on Friday. Or maybe you chose to celebrate Galentine's Day. That's where women celebrate their female friendships. Or maybe Palentine's Day, if you want to keep gender out of it. No matter how you feel about Valentine's, love it or hate it, Someone probably wished you a happy Valentine's Day on Friday. It's a day full of pressure to be that perfect partner or friend, to show your appreciation, your love, your gratitude for those you love. It's a day of action, right? It's a day of action where you write a card or a letter or you share candy or flowers. Or if you were lucky like me, I got to go to a fancy restaurant and then the ballet. 
It's a day that you spend time with those you love, or at the very least, like. Our text today, as we are still leaning into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is sort of like Valentine's Day on steroids. It's a call to not just show love to those we love, but to show love to those we hate. To turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Really, Jesus? And while Jesus is certainly calling us to a radical love, a courageous love, a love that surpasses even our understandings, we have a tragic history of poor translation of this text, and even worse, bad interpretations that this text recommends becoming a doormat for Christ. It also doesn't tolerate domestic violence, but yet that is how often it has been interpreted. And this passage is tragically misinterpreted because we have first forgotten the original society in which Jesus was given these teachings. When Jesus says, if anyone, he and his listeners knew instantly and exactly who the anyone was. The behaviors Jesus describes, slapping the right cheek, forcing to go the extra mile, suing, were not the kinds of things anyone could do. They were the kinds of things only a privileged few could do and did to the crowds that were listening to Jesus. Jesus is sharing to those who live in an imperial context how to respond to persecution and oppression by outwitting the opponent. He is sharing that there are ways of not resisting that actually shames the oppressor and humbles those in power. For example, turning the other cheek was a way to respond to your oppressor. If you're going to hit me again, you're going to do so as an equal. There were socially acceptable protocols. Some included never, ever using your left hand, as it was considered dirty. Hitting a subordinate with the back of the hand was twice as offensive and packs a bigger punch. The blow was about asserting status and power over another. So if your overlord has just slapped you on your right cheek and you give him the other, it gives the appearance that you are being meek and servile and obedient while actually you are forcing him to either hit you with the palm of his right hand or using his left hand. 
or walk away. And all three of those responses would make him lose face. And if anyone wants to sue you for your coat, again, this is about the privilege abusing, the privileged abusing the poor. The poor didn't sue the poor. The poor quite literally only owned the clothes on their back. And being sued for your coat would be taking the only thing that you owned. Except for your underwear, a.k.a. your cloak. If there is one thing that hasn't changed throughout the eons, it is the all-embarrassing dream of being caught public in your underwear. It is embarrassing and shameful now, just as it was then. So why not publicly expose the shame which someone with wealth and privilege to take away the only thing a poor person owns by going naked? Give him your underwear. Let him explain why you are naked. And Jesus continues in his examples about going the second mile, a response to being conscripted by soldiers to carry their packs, losing a day's wage. Offering to go a second mile publicly exposes the unjust hardships of being forced to go even one mile. But it does so in a way that seems to cooperate, cooperate while at the same time brings shame and ridicule to the ones doing the forcing. And with the begging and borrowing, this teaching is directed to those who have and not to the have-nots. The effect of this is to break down the customary social barriers between those who have and those who do not have. It changes the social relationship to one of kinship. Jesus is telling us to treat beggars and borrowers as if they were our closest and dearest family. And if this were not enough, we are called to love our enemies. But again, a misunderstanding to love our enemies is not mean, it does not mean to try and feel affection for them. It actually is much harder. It means to be attached to them, to be devoted to them, to be loyal to them, to seek for their welfare and their fair and just treatment. Yikes. Maybe it would be easier to try and merely like our enemies. However, as Jesus points out, God treats God's enemies, the evil and the unrighteous, the same as God's friends, the good and the righteous. Ought we not try to do the same? But I know that we cannot be naive about this. 
When we react to evil and persecution with this love, it will not be something that magically makes things better. Enemies will not frolic through the fields together. But choosing the path of faith is trusting that there is an alternative way of living and being and that our faith, our relationship with Christ, will have its own way of showing up with justice. As you can tell, and some of you know, I have been sick for most of this week. I have not felt well, and I have been physically unwilling to do much. But I got this idea on Wednesday, thanks to some, uh, a, a little seed planted by our own Terry Cheney, that I wanted some chicken noodle soup. But I didn't have any chicken noodle soup. But I realized, in our rapid response world, I could order groceries online and have them delivered to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so that's what I did. And if you order $35 or more, they deliver them for free. Though I would have been happy to pay the $3.99 surcharge on a $1.99 can of soup. <laughs> so I order groceries at 5.30 p.m. And they are delivered to me by about 6.30 p.m which is pretty close to the amount of time that it would have taken me to get dressed, drive to the store, purchase my goods, check out, and drive home. I didn't have to leave the comforts of my house. I didn't even have to leave the comforts of my couch. I just clicked things on the screen and poof, delivered to my door. I didn't have to be vulnerable. I didn't have to engage with anyone. It is not only a sick person's dream, it's an introvert's fantasy. But it did get me thinking. While this online ordering thing has its place, I wondered, what is the world going to look like in 10 years? Will we ever have to leave our homes? Will we ever engage with people? Those we like? Those we don't like? Will we develop a self-induced agoraphobia? I know I'm being a bit melodramatic, but we are a society that on many levels is more connected than ever, with cell phones and texting and social media and instant news alerts, and yet we are more personally disconnected than ever. We seem to have less time, or at least less time together. I was reading 60 years ago that the average dinner time, like spent together over dinner, was 90 minutes. It is now less than 12 minutes. In the last 20 years, family dinners have declined by 33%. 
And while there are benefits to social media, its impacts have moved us to focus on relationships based on quantity over quality. And we are losing our ability to read social cues. And you mix this with the fact that the country is working more hours than in previous decades. And this is related both to salaried workers who feel that they need to work more, but also because of the stagnant, stagnant hourly wage, making working more hours a necessity to make ends meet. And while times and technology have certainly changed, it just got me wondering, what does this isolation and extra hours do to the gospel that calls us into community and into action and into vulnerability? We are reminded in this famous sermon that our faith is not something that is passive. It is not a checklist. It is not just belief in something. It is not just about rituals like fasting and almsgiving. God's righteousness is more than just about a personal, private decision in hearts or the balance book. Our faith is to turn, to love, to give, to pray. Our faith is to creatively engage in intelligent resistance that exposes injustices. Our faith is responding to God's grace and love by living out the fullness of our relationship with God. And this is both good news as well as a call to action. Because to turn to love, to give, to pray, to engage, to respond, is action-oriented. It's not just talking about it or theorizing about it or just clicking like. It's not being passive. Faith is not a noun. It is a verb, and it is an action verb. At the end of this text, Jesus says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I'll cut to the chase. Jesus is not calling us to be flawless or sinless. But Jesus is calling us to be real and faithful and authentic. It is knowing that we are salt and light. It is knowing that you are whole and living completely as yourself and not hiding or shying away and not living passively. So how is our life, how is our community defined by this completedness that we find in God? What does it look like as a community to turn the other cheek? What are we empowered to do? Jesus invites us as individuals, but as community, as the body of Christ, 
to respond to this invitation. I apologize that I don't have any concrete answers about what that response looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. I do know that, that one response is uh, to be in community together, and in this case, a 7th Street Christian Church, and to do the best that we can to follow in the ways of Jesus. So in response to that, I invite us to stand as we join our voices to share our hymn of commitment. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 5 of Jesus Calls Us, a hymn that I'm not quite familiar with, but I have faith in us. So I invite us to stand and sing, and if you feel called to join and unite with this congregation, I invite you forward during the singing of this hymn. That's another spiritual, and it goes on and on, but good morning. I'm going to talk to you all. I know this is a black history moment about a person you don't even know. You've never even heard of that person. It's my great 
great-great-great-grandfather. His name was Samuel Bonaparte January. He was born in 1824. His father was the slave owner, and his name was Samuel F. January. He was a Frenchman. So evidently, what had happened was he gave Samuel his surname Bonaparte because Bonaparte is French. Bonaparte, which they called Bone later on, he was born into slavery and spent most of his life in slavery. And we don't know why, but in 1840, Samuel January sold his 150 slaves to Walker Buckner in Cane Ridge in 1840. And the reason I chose Bonaparte is because he was a member of the movement of the Disciple of Christ Church. All of his children were born on the Buckner Plantation, and he married a woman named Nancy Winston, and they had six children, James, Betty, David, Washington, and Tom. David was my mother's great-grandfather, and he married Belle Turner, and they had one son, and that was my grandfather, William Preston January, who had seven children. My mother was born at Cane Ridge in 1912, and she left the plantation in 1919 when they moved to Ohio. But to give you a little bit background about Bone, after the, what is it called, emancipation in 1863, many ex-slaves continued to work on the plantations that they lived. So he went, so he was about eight to 10 years old when Barton Stone, and Alexander Campbell agreed to combine their efforts to restore the movement of the Disciples of Christ Church. Now, when I was little, we always went to Cane Ridge for the summer, and we always sat in the Cane Ridge Church. I had no idea that I had sat in a place where my great-great-grandfather was a member of up in the balcony. We just ran around and played in the churchyard. But I did some more looking up, and in 1900, he dropped dead, chopping wood at the age of 86 in the Cane Ridge church grounds, where he is buried, and we have a headstone there, and we did a um, 
dedication in 2000. And I just found out the other day, we will, our family reunion, which is our 49th family reunion, will be held at Cane Ridge this summer. So I thought that was kind of neat since I was going to talk about Bonaparte January. And then I found a footnote about someone had written about the church. One man who visited Cane Ridge, a little footstone for a slave. All slaves sat in the balcony of churches back then. They'd climbed up the old ladder and filled the loft. Samuel Bonaparte January was a slave. He called himself Bones. <laughs> An or ordinary man, driven hard, life difficulties sometimes. But God turned his situation around when he got saved at the Cane Ridge Church. And uncanny, 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 they said the ability to preach the gospel from an elm tree in that churchyard. So I stand here today to say I am proud to be a part of Bonaparte, no, Samuel Bonaparte January's life. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I'm, I'm doing two or three things here, so I'm doing prayer for the people. So if you'd bow your heads. Here we are, as I always say, standing here, Lord, in the need of prayer, each and every one of us. Come down and rain on us and touch our hearts that we may help others that can't help themselves, that we may touch someone. We don't know who it is. That's why you always have your prayers coming from your heart because you never know when you're going to need them. And you'll never know when someone is going to need help. We never know these things. But we need to be prepared because that's what God sent us here to do. We love you, Lord. We need you each and every day. We love the fact that you are there. As the old people would say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. So you sit and you listen in the stillness to wait on him. Because God does answer prayers. And he does help us. And he puts us in the past always, 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 always to be there for others, for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, 
You may just touch someone who is not having a good day or just may need prayer. And you just have those bags of prayers held in your heart to give someone else. But we are here to help the people. We are here to see people. And we are here to love one another with all our hearts and all of our strength. So from this day forward, let us go out and let us help the people, the people on the streets, the people that are homeless, the vets, the children are crying for us. We may not be able to go help them, to touch them, but if we just sit and pray for them, to let God know we have not forgotten the children, that God knows they're there, and he will fix this in his time. And we just sit back and wait and continue to love the Lord. In your precious name, amen. When violence reigns and disaster strikes or resources are scarce, a future with hope can seem far away. In those times, our communities can act as a source of critical support. We embody love, the holy source of all hope and healing, through week of compassion the Relief, Refugee, and Development Fund of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Week of Compassion works with various partners around the world to bring relief and hope to those in need. Today and next Sunday, we will be collecting a special offering for Week of Compassion. Too often, the money collected for Week of Compassion comes after a disaster, a tornado, a tsunami, a famine. Money that is needed to alleviate pain. However, Week of Compassion's work is much more extensive than just this disaster relief, but includes refugee and displaced people, and helping with sustainable development and women's empowerment in communities around the world. Our special offering, outside of a disaster, supports all of the initiatives of Week of Compassion. 
and helps to create and reinforce a solid foundation so that if or when disaster strikes, a community will be in a stronger place to respond. So friends, as we give today, I invite you to consider a gift in addition to Week of Compassion. As I was gently reminded that if you do um, share a gift with Week of Compassion, be sure to put it in that envelope that is in your bulletin. And if you're writing a check in the memo, write Week of Compassion. So I invite us to return a portion of what we have received from God back to God through our gifts and offerings.
God of abundance, bless the investment that we commit to your work this day, that our efforts might serve the future thriving of this world that you so love. Amen. You may be seated. As co-workers in God's service, we are called to the feast prepared by Christ. We come tired and hopeful. We come with laughter and tears. We come broken and blessed. We come to taste God's promise of a world made whole. And at this table, we find rest. At this table, we find hope. At this table, we are moved to plant new seeds, to nourish fresh sprouts, and to join in bringing forth all the future growth God is bringing even now. At this table, we bring our dreams, our prayers, and our gifts with hopeful trust in God's holy healing, powerful and loving. Let us share in song, preparing ourselves for communion. As we sing, let us break bread together.
Friends, as we gather around this table, we remember that on the night before Jesus died, he gathered with his friends and he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, this bread is like my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he poured it out and he blessed it. And he gave it to them and said, The wine in this cup is like the blood in my veins poured out to give you new life. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, this morning we observe communion by intinction, and you will be invited forward to take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup and partake of both elements together. Here at 7th Street Christian Church, as in all Disciples of Christ churches, no matter who you are or where you are from, you are welcome to this table. Let us give thanks. Here we are, God, standing here at your table, getting ready to eat the bread and drink the wine and know that that is from your body. And you died upon that cross that we may live so by eating the bread and drinking the wine, just take a second to reflect on how your week went last week. And by you doing it again this week, reflect and try to figure out, okay, how am I going to be better the next week? So there's a reason for us to be here at this table each and every Sunday. It's to show you that we love you and that we have not forgotten about you. Amen.
God, we give thanks for the gifts of bread and cup flowing with your promise of a future full of hope. Carry us forth with courageous compassion to live for the love of all that we do not yet see, with trust in your eternal stream of new life as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us uh, stand and sing our closing hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, found on page 609, paying attention to the verses. One, two, five, and six.
friends, don't forget that we have our visitor, a new member orientation in the parlor, um, and you can join us there. Now receive this benediction. As you depart from this place, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be real, be faithful, be authentic. Remember that you are salt and light. Do not hide, do not shy away, but turn toward God. Turn toward one another. Be empowered by God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit to be the body of Christ in the world. Amen.